not elaborating on them. Jesus' coming has no known date or time. That is, it's not revealed to us. Only God the Father knows it, and He ain't telling. He comes for His people, and it will be according to God's plan. Number two, there will be a proliferation of evil deeds with no faith in God, just as it was in the days of Noah when the flood came upon the unbelieving people of his day. Noah, a preacher of righteousness, couldn't make a dent in the unbelief and hard hearts of the people of his day. It's going to be that way too. Don't you see that in our society? People's hearts are hard towards the gospel. They, ah, get out of here. They don't want to hear that, you know. You religious fanatics, go, you know, go bury your head in the sea and go talk to somebody, some fool that wants to listen to you. That's the way it is today. And number three, no sorrow for sin, no confession of guilt, and no repentance. That's, that's going on today, too. People sin, they're right in your face about it. TV is right in your face about it. Immorality, adultery, fornication, stealing, theft, murder, you, any sin you can imagine, it, they're in your face about it, and they're saying, in effect, who cares? Now, number four, and this is new. Now we're proceeding on with our list, and here is the number four. One of the... Uh, uh, characteristics of Christ's second coming will be a proliferation of people claiming to be Christ. Claiming to be Christ. Look at it in our text, is Mark 13, look at verse 5. Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceive you. Many will come in my name, claiming, I'm He. I'm He. And they will deceive many. Matthew's account says, For many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Matthew 24 and verse 5. Now you have to ask this question. Why would anyone want to claim that he was Jesus Christ. I mean, just from what we know about the life and ministry of Jesus, wouldn't his shoes be pretty big, too big to fill for any false claimant? I mean, Jesus did many miracles while on earth. Wouldn't people expect to see him duplicate or revitalize his miracle working power just as a measure of uh, his true identity? Look at verse 21 and 23 of our text. We're in Matthew, we're in Mark 13, excuse me, Mark 13. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. 
forewarned is to be forearmed. And Jesus is saying, I'm telling you, when they come, they're going to have <laughs> what looks to be like credentials. My credentials. And so here we learn from Jesus that people who are all in the signs and wonders are ripe. They are ripe for succumbing to deception. How so? Because false Christs and false prophets will appear and they will perform signs and wonders, he says, signs and miracles to deceive the elect if that were possible. You want signs and miracles? No problem. No problem. The false Christs, the false prophets, they will be happy to oblige. They'll be happy to do that. Ever since the occult magicians in Moses' day were able to replicate some of the plagues that God sent on Egypt, the enemies of God have been able to counterfeit miracles. By whose power? Well, Paul told the Corinthians concerning the preachers who were showing up at their door, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, and therein will be what their actions deserve. 2 Corinthians 11, 13-15. Now this was going on in Paul's day. He was already having to deal with the lying prophets. Consider now what he wrote to the church of Thessalonica concerning the end days. And here's what he wrote. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. This is in his day already. It's already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Now they perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. And for this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. 2 Thessalonians 2. Verses 7 through 11. So he tells us something, as a prophecy, he tells us what's going to happen in the end times. And it's like saying, I'm going to be dead and gone. I, the Apostle Paul, will be out of here. But you guys and all those that are reading his letter, you need to understand that there's a day coming when the lawless one is going to be revealed and his power is going to be that of the working of the Satan and he will be able to do miracles, counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. And every one of them is going to have the mark of deception upon it. Now here's my statement. Get this. If you don't get 
anything out of this message, get this statement. Not everything supernatural is from God. Let me say it again. Not everything supernatural is from God. Boy, if the world would just get that one. Just because the average man cannot perform the supernatural does not mean that people who have surrendered to the power of Satan cannot do the supernatural. Missionary friends of mine in years past have reported extraordinary feats by the people with whom they worked because these people had given themselves over to Satan. A missionary, a missionary told me of one girl from whom he had exercised a demon. A lot of prayer went into that. Missionaries gathered together, cast out this de- She was demon-possessed, literally. Okay, a couple of weeks went by. She came back to them again. Same problem, demon-possessed. They're thinking, hmm, what's going on here? They prayed, and God graciously intervened, and they exercised that demon. A few more weeks, she came back again, same problem. Now the light bulb's starting to go on. How's come this girl keeps coming back? She continues to be demon-possessed. Then it clicked. She liked the power that the demons gave her in terms of extraordinary abilities. What she did not like, the hurtful things the demons did to her. The devil's a cruel master. He gives with one hand and takes away with the other lifts up and puts down. It's not God. Not gracious. No mercy. No kindness. No love. Jesus said of him, a murderer from the beginning. Let us remember that. Jesus confronted the same thing in his day. Just go flip back a couple pages in your Mark's Gospel to chapter 9. Look at verses 17 and following. Mark 9, 17. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive out this spirit, but they could not. O unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. And he fell to the ground and rolled around and he was foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. Now notice the next statement by the Father. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. 
But if you can do anything, take pity on me and help us. If you can, Jesus replied, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help, my, help me overcome my unbelief. What an honest, honest response. I rather think this dad had been through it all with this son of his. And he came to his disciples thinking, oh, I'm sure Jesus' disciples can help me. And they couldn't. And so he says to Jesus, well, if you can do it, if you can do anything to help me. He, he, he wants to believe, but he admits, eh, I don't know. I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus, I'm reading on. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, oh, he's dead. He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet. And he stood up. Mark 9, 17 through 27. Jesus had to deal with these kind of things in his day. Now, brethren, this is not epilepsy. I've heard some really stupid sermons on texts like this. This is demon possession. We say, well, I don't know if I believe in demon possession. Well, let me tell you, if you're in third world countries, you'd know. If you were down in Louisiana with the voodoo people, you'd believe it. It's everywhere. This poor boy seems to have become a victim from his youth of this evil spirit's influence. Jesus says he was, called him a deaf and mute spirit. So he couldn't hear and he couldn't speak. And he'd undergone attempts on his life in thrown, being thrown into a fire and being thrown into a lake or whatever to try to drown him. That's the murderer from the beginning, the devil. Consider as well the demoniac of Gadara. Mark, flip back a couple more pages. Mark has it there too. Mark 5, verse 2 and following. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained and and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons off his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Notice that self-mutilation and all that. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees and in front of him and he shouted out at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. Now, it's the demon talking to Christ through this man's voice. 
For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. But notice the supernatural power. So again, just because someone has supernatural power, in this case, he was able to break his iron chains and his iron shackles so no one could bind him. That doesn't mean that they're of God. They have supernatural power, but it doesn't mean that they are of God. Satan is a supernatural being whose power he gladly shares with people, but always with a price. Always with a price. In this case, the man was tormented continually. Couldn't think straight. He was like a madman. Everybody knew he was a madman. He ran around the country naked. No, he didn't wear any clothes. No one could get near to him. He'd beat him up. All these kind of things. But after the exorcism, we read, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. Ooh, there are many in him. Sitting there, dressed, finally, and in his right mind. Now notice the next phrase. And they were afraid. Afraid? Did we read that right? They were afraid. Mark 5, verse 15. Here, the people are confronted with a real miracle, the exorcism of demons, plural, from this strong man. And what is their response? They are afraid. They're not rejoicing. They're not praising God. They're not thankful. They're afraid. And the next verse says, they petition Jesus, leave the province. Go, 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 go. Go away, go away, go away. Now there's some economic considerations here. When the demons were cast out, they were cast into a swine uh, uh, herd of pigs. And they ran down the cliff and jumped into the sea and were drowned. So they lost a lot of pork that day. And so they looked upon Jesus. Well, Jesus, you just destroyed our economy. And they were more interested in this than they were the salvation of this man who was demon-possessed. So I'm going to say it again. Not everything supernatural is of God. Well, the world doesn't know that. So when they say something that they can't explain, that's beyond the natural, they're ready to fall down and worship. Oh, this is of God. Oh. And it's the deception of the evil one who's able to do the supernatural so that he can deceive. Now, let me give you some characteristics of God-wrought miracles. And this is going to be a crash course. I can't deal with everything this morning. But here's some characteristics of God-wrought miracles. Number one, God's true miracles promote the gospel of God's salvation. That's why miracles. It's so 
whoever's performing the miracle, Jesus, his apostles, his disciples, whatever, it's so that they can tell people, well, let me tell you about the power behind these miracles. It's this person called God. And he's come to save sinners. You're a sinner. You need to be saved. You need to listen to what I have to say because it's from God. When this man from Gadara was healed, he wanted to accompany Jesus and leave his hometown. I'm going to go with you, Jesus. Let me read it for you. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and he began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Mark 5, verse 18 through 20. I know it's humbling to realize, but the chief end of God's miracles is not to heal you, or rescue you, or preserve you, or supply your needs. It's to bring glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, that's going to be a big clue when you're trying to compare a real miracle versus a counterfeit miracle. Number two, miracles authenticate God's true prophets and spokesmen. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany you, those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. Okay. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. Ooh, I don't want to do that. But. And it will not hurt them. Hmm. They will drink deadly poison and it will have no effect. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. And then the disciples went out and they preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Mark 16. Verses 15 through 20. You say, well, what about the occult priests of Egypt who were able to replicate some of Moses and Aaron's miracles? Why would God allow any demonic power to replicate? I'm choosing my words carefully here. To replicate. That word means to copy. Not duplicate. Duplicate the word means to correspond exactly. Replicate, yes. Correspond exactly, no. Why would he allow these demonic magicians of Egypt to replicate <coughs> his miracles? Well, the man of lawless who is to come performs Counterfeit miracles, we read. <clears throat> In every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. 
And for this reason, God sends them a powerful, here it is, delusion so that they will believe the lie. Counterfeit miracles, replicates of what's true, true miracle, is so that people will believe the lie. Why does he want them to believe the lie? Because for years and years, they would not hear the truth of the gospel. And so God is saying something to the effect, you wanted lies all your life? Well, here's the big liar that's come. Here's some more lies that you can believe in and follow and trust. And of course, you're going to be in trouble when you do. So I say to all the miracle seekers out there, learn here that you are ripe for deception. If you want lies, God will send you lies. If you will not hear the gospel of truth, God will give you the delusions that you crave. We have it in our text, Mark 13. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. Oh, it's not going to be possible for the elect, for God's people. But what he is saying here is they're going to be so convincing. Could possibly, we might think, even deceive us and who have our heads screwed on right. It goes on, so be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. Mark 13, 22 and 23. And Jesus is saying here, the things the false Christs and prophets will do are not cheap magic tricks or sleights of hand. No, they are so convincing. They are so stupendous in nature that even God's true people will be tempted to believe that it is Jesus doing these, the, these very things or his spokesman. They'll be tempted to believe. Number three, God's true miracles always glorify God and his power, not the miracle worker. When Peter and John healed the lame man who sat by the temple gate begging for alms, we are told, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man well? He went on. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. Acts 3, verse 16. In true miracles, brethren, the miracle worker doesn't take the credit. He says it's all of Christ. It's all of Christ and his power. Number four. 
All of God's miracle, all of God's miracles are for free. A product of his grace with no cost to the recipient at all. When Simon Magnus, and that was the name he gave himself, Simon, my name is Simon Magnus, Simon the Great. A self-proclaimed disciple of Jesus when he allegedly was saved under Philip's ministry in Samaria. When he witnessed the bestowment of the Holy Spirit at the laying on of the hands of the apostles, he offered them money. And he said, give me this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 8 verse 19. And Peter's response was scolding. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Acts 8, verse 20 and 21. You see, Jesus had taught his disciples this. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Matthew 10, verse 8. I want you to remember that when the false prophets of the Word of Faith movement, the Name It and Claim It people, Joyce Myers, Kenneth Copeland, Joel Olstein, Benny Hinn, Mike Murdoch, just to name a few, put the touch on you to contribute to their ministries with the promise of receiving a special blessing from God within 90 days if you'll just contribute seed money of $1,000 to our organization or what have you. Remember this. Be discerning, brethren. The Apostle John says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 1 John 4, verse 1. On our foyer table out here is a DVD by Justin Peters, where he does an expose of that whole word of faith, that name it and claim it group of preachers that are out there deceiving the thousands the thousands for this. Well, these are some ways you can discern between a true miracle and a false miracle. Now, what about this business of false Christ? Any false Christ in our day? Hang on to your seat. Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda out of Miami, Florida. Say, who's this guy? Well, he's a former heroin addict and a divorcee who has established a ministry called Growing in Grace Ministries. Notice the terminology. They use our terminology. Growing in Grace Ministries sounds very biblical. But what does he teach? He teaches there is no such thing as sin. 
You're free to indulge in whatever. There is no devil. The devil is an invention of Hollywood, uh, Hollywood movies. So there's no hell. All other preachers and all other religions are liars and their religions need to be destroyed. When someone interviewed him, says, well, you, your religion seems to be nothing more than a cult. He says, yes, we're a cult, but we're a nice cult. Claims that two angels appeared to him in 1973 and said that Christ would soon visit him. And here's his terminology. Christ will integrate himself with yourself. Christ will enter you. You will become Christ. His followers have given him a mansion, many expensive cars, a watch worth $142,000. And when he was questioned by ABC News on this, his answer was, Everyone should be rich. Everyone should be rich. Last year, his organization took in $1.4 million in contributions. He owns his own 24-hour-a-day cable channel. This is how they get their message out. He says, I do greater things than Jesus of Nazareth ever did. End quote. He's in 20 countries. He has 30 teaching centers right here in the United States. I'm Christ. Apollo Kimbaloy of the Philippines. I say, who's he? Oh, he's just someone that has six million followers. Six million followers. All of them are poor. This is the Philippines. But they sacrifice, they contribute to this man enough to build him a mansion in a closed compound. And again, his answer is, it's God's will for me to have wealth. Okay? He does engage in some kind of healing ministries, though when they interviewed him on television, he could not duplicate any. His teaching is, live the pure life. He says of himself, I have overcome all sin. Well, you know, Jesus of Nazareth never had any sin to overcome. And he calls himself Christ. The embodiment of Christ. In Siberia. Oh no. That's way out there in cold country. Russia, right? Snow, ice. There's this guy named Vissarion. He just goes by that first name. Vissarion. 10,000 followers. So, yeah, well, that's not very many. 10,000 followers. Strict vegetarian diet. He changed the Christmas date for the birth of Christ to his own August birthday. They said they had that wrong. 
Of course, we don't know when Christ was born, so who's going to argue with this guy? If he's Christ, and that's what he's claiming to be, he can tell us, I'm Christ, I was born in August. Okay, there we go. Who's his followers? Well, it's not who you might think. His followers are engineers, teachers, university professors, former political administrators. The elite of society. What's his philosophy? His philosophy is follow your heart. That's it. Follow your heart. No modern medicine is allowed in his compounds. No surgeries are allowed. When people join his Church of the Last Testament, they have to forfeit all of their possessions, their property, their bank accounts, and thereafter they are given a stipend, get this now, of $12 a month to live on. Everything else, in terms of food and so forth, they have to grow for themselves. I'm not making this stuff up. Go to YouTube, type in false Christ, and many more such accounts will pop up. Brethren, this is just the tip of the iceberg. The worst is yet to come. People prefer the lie over the truth. I can't believe it. People give them, God gives them their desires. Paul says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God's made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. Look at creation and see the power of our God. Paul says, so that men are without excuse. They're, they're without excuse. We're not knowing. For although they knew God, I'm reading on, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts, their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. They went to idolatry instead of the Lord and the Creator of the universe. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts, the sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchange, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. And worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever to be praised. Amen. Romans 1, 18 through 25. The time of Jesus' coming will be preceded by men claiming to be Him. By the way, if you go on Wikipedia... They have a whole list dating way back historically. They've got over 50 people on Wikipedia. And you can click on the, on the sites and read about them that have claimed to be Christ returned through the centuries. Not new. Jesus says there'll be many Christs, many claiming to be me. 
Here then is the fifth characteristic. Jesus' second coming will be the same man experienced by the New Testament church. Just think about this. If it's the return of Christ, is it going to be a different Christ? If it's the disciples watching Christ ascend into heaven and the angels saying, Why, man of Galilee, are you gazing up? This same Jesus whom you see will come back in like fashion. If it's the same Jesus... Hello, why do you have all these counterfeits being so easily accepted? One of the major problems with these false claimants is their failure to re reconcile their claims with the actual teachings of Jesus. If they were truly the re-embodiment of Jesus, we would expect their teaching to dovetail with that of the historical Jesus. That makes sense? For example, Jesus taught on the devil in hell. Hello, hello, Ease de Jesus from Miami. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right, the goats on the left, and then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, verse 31 and following. Jesus of, Jesus of the New Testament days believed in the devil and taught against him. Number two, he specifically taught against amassing money saying, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Matthew 6, verse 24. Or again in Luke 12, verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Oh, but these false Christs are going to try. <laughs> you know? What about Jesus? Now think about this. What about the king? Can the king live sumptuously? Can he have a mansion and many cars and, and, and gold jewelry and all those wonderful things? How about the king? Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's the way Jesus lived, the original historical Jesus, Matthew 8, verse 20. Or again, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Well, it is the one not that serves the table, but who is at the table. But I, I am among you as one who serves. That's the Christ we know. 
Luke 22, verse 25 and following. Oh, oh. That kind of knocks out of the play all of these guys that we've already looked at. Number three, Jesus taught on sin and the consequences thereof and the need to repent. Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you'll not look, you'll, you will look for me and will not find me. You will die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, Will he kill himself? Is that why he says, Where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, You're from below. I'm from above. You are of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. And if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. John 8, 21 through 24. He taught about sin and about the need to repent. Number four. He taught against following your heart and against a restricted diet. Here it is. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. And in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. All foods clean. I'm reading scripture. In saying this, he declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of a man's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside, and that's what makes a man unclean. Mark 7, verse 18 through 23. It's not the food you eat, it's what comes out of your heart. Now, I see what's happening here. People are snookered into following these false claimants of Christ and his return because they're ignorant of the biblical Christ. How he lived, what he taught, the example he set. And so they have no basis for a comparison with some self-proclaimed Messiah when he asserts that he's Jesus come from glory. And they're going, oh, yeah, oh, whoa, wow, whoa. The returning Jesus will be the same one that was experienced by the New Testament church. That's how you know. If you're not in the book, you have no criteria, no measuring rod. Well, he says he's Jesus and he can perform some miraculous things. <gasps> Must be. A couple years ago, people were bowing down to a toasted cheese sandwich because it looked like Mary and the Madonna, Madonna and Jesus. Willing to accept anything in the supernatural realm. That's from God. And the devil just loves it. Oh, boy. Number six, finally. Jesus' second coming will be public 
with full disclosure, not secretive. I'll wager that many, if not all of you, did not know anything about the three men I highlighted as Jesus come in the flesh. But they're out there building their following, raising their money, confirming their disciples. And the only way we know about them is through the mass media, chiefly the Internet. And because some of the news people have caught a glimpse of their stories and have done exposés on them and have gone public. Now contrast that to verse 26 and following of our text. <coughs> Mark writes, at that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Verse 26 and 27. Matthew's gospel words it this way. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Matthew 25. The Apostle John writes, Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the people of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Revelation 1 verse 7. Paul writes, If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or why do you look down upon your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then each of you will give an account of himself to God. Romans 14, verses 8 through 12. Jesus will not have to convince anyone of his identity. <sighs> Reading on, for we know him who said it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done all the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he, is, he who is coming will come. And he will not delay, but my righteous ones will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. 
Hebrews 10, verse 30 through 39. I hope that's us. I pray that's us. That we are not like those that are going to be just snookered and led astray. And we'll be ready. There's a lot more to say about the second coming of Christ, but this, this has been an important lesson today because there's so much false stuff out there. And guess what? It's the people's own fault. They have access to this book, same as you and me. And I know that our country is, is slipping in terms of gospel preaching churches, but they're out there and still can be found in America. You don't have to go to the false Claimants. You don't have to go to the people that deny the truths of the scripture. You can find a gospel preaching church and start to learn the book and more importantly, the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you know him, you're safe. If you don't know him, you're not safe. And there's a lot of cults out there, a lot of false teaching. And again, you judge them by the book. If it's in here, it's true. And then you use this as the measuring rod to see whether what's being preached is the truth, the Berean spirit. Lord Jesus, God protect us. Thank you for protecting us. Giving us the truth of the gospel. We're just sort of touching some of these things that describe or will characterize your coming. Grant us your grace to understand the difference between the liars and, the, and those that are true. Defeat the liars, Lord. Save your people. I know you will. Not one of them are going to be lost, for not one for whom you've died. All that the Father gives to Christ will come to him and be saved, but they've got to come. I pray that they will come. Lord, just deliver them from the delusions and deceptions of the evil one. He's a murderer. He likes to sucker people into believing his lie. He lied to Adam and Eve and they bought it. And the race has paid for that. It's still paying for it. He comes to us as individuals and he gives us a lie and we buy into it and we pay for it. But Lord, you have the power. You have the strength to defeat this deceiver. And the truth, Jesus says, is what makes people free. He then said, I am the way. I am the truth. No man comes unto the Father except through me. Now that's the gospel truth. May we believe it. And if we don't believe it, give us the faith to believe it. Give us a heart of repentance to turn from our sin to Jesus who desires that we be with him in glory. Amen.